It's the emotional nature that comes third and stands as number two. It's the emotion that is at the center, at the heart, corresponding to the soul between spirit and matter. Thoughts are like the steering wheel of the car. They determine our direction. The physical body is like the car itself. That's the action. So if the thoughts are the steering wheel and the physical is the car, what's in the middle? Well, that's the pedals. The emotion of fear or anything like it, trepidation, anxiety, worry, doubt, nervousness, and mild apprehension, that's the brake. And the old boy, the enthusiasm, the excitement, optimism, that's the accelerator. So if you wonder why you're not going anyplace, you got the steering wheel pointed in the right direction, you got some great ideas, maybe the problem is you're just standing on the brake. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning and welcome to today's episode of The Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Uh, Keep in mind, any Sunday that you're unable to join us live by Zoom for this uh, weekly and, and free class, you can always find the full video posted on our YouTube channel at Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And the edited version, without the meditation and the question and answer, uh, which cuts it down to about 30-35 minutes, is available as a podcast. Again, just search Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My primary website, michaelbenner.com, is available for you as a resource. There's a lot of good information there. Uh, the podcast page even has a reading list, which I should probably mention more often. So if you just go to michaelbenner.com, click on podcast, you'll see in the upper right corner a reading list. Um, information about my private work, our Saturday salon, and the private one-on-one training is also available, as well as a link to my book, Fearless Intelligence. So all of that lives at michaelbenner.com. Hope you can check that out. Appreciate you being with us here today. Uh, This is going to be a fun class. This is about the magic triad, uh, the triune nature of so many things, the trinity in a religious sense, but our mythology is full of the number three. And it is a magical number in ways that I'll explain. Actually, this whole topic is so vast that in thinking about doing it, I was a little a little bit overwhelmed. I attempted early on in this series, I think our first or second or third class, I spent a lot of time 
with the Trinity in Christianity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit Trinity, which is importantly best understood as Father, Son, Mother. And, of course, the Church is a patriarchy. So, traditionally, there's been, in fact, to this day, there's been very little role, uh, not much place for women in the Catholic Church. So, that's a definite patriarchy. But most religions are patriarchies. Whether you look at the Islamic, the Jewish, or the Christian Abrahamic religions, the monotheistic religions of the Middle East and West, or Eastern philosophy, Eastern religion, Hinduism, not Buddhism so much. Buddhism has always had nuns who have an equal standing with monks. Monks and nuns from time out of mind have been seen as equal persons in most Buddhist traditions. I can't say all, but the mainstream Buddhist traditions. And so there are exceptions, of course, in Hinduism and Jainism and Sikhism. But most religions are patriarchal. God is a man, right? And uh, the earth is a woman, or the solar system or universe is feminine in nature, mostly because spirit is causative and matter is receptive. And I hasten to point out that the material universe, the word material, is uh, built around the word mater, which is mother. So we have Mother Earth or um, Mother Nature. Uh, Gaia is feminine. This whole idea of the planet is a living thing. So the material world is receptive in the way a woman is receptive in in nature. Whereas the man, you know, she's usually smaller and camouflaged and nest building and nurturing, uh, bringing forth life and caring for it. Whereas the male, usually bigger, stronger, the stallion fighting battles, very colorful and bright, watch out for me, and uh, going out into the world and bringing home the bacon. And of course, humans modeled their society for millennia on that that same idea until fairly recently when we began to reevaluate those roles. I think it's important to understand in the Christian Trinity that Father, Son, Holy Spirit is really Father, Son, Mother. And when we talk about the third aspect today, it's important to understand that it comes in number two. So the Son, the center of that Trinity, the Christ or Christos, which is a level of consciousness or state of awareness, comes third, but stands as number two. There's an old mystical riddle, in fact, that, uh, spoiler alert, I've already told you the answer. What comes third stands as number two and makes the three into a one. And it's the Christ nature or the Buddha nature. It's the consciousness or awareness that stands between spirit and matter, between, if you use a scientific model, energy and mass. Remember, Einstein's equation says they're the same thing. That energy is the substantial side. The E in that equation is capitalized. 
because it cannot be created or destroyed. Energy equals mass. Spirit equals matter. Matter, of course, is always impermanent. It uh, never lasts. It always fades. It always rots or rusts or decays or gets broken, <laughs> needs repair or replacement. Uh, very frustrating since we're oriented to be consumers and identify with our material nature. We want to hold on to our stuff. We don't want it to get old, but it always does. Even our physical vehicle, the body, of course, ages. Though you've noticed, right? Consciousness does not age. So what comes third and stands as number two? It's consciousness. It's awareness. It's the soul, if you will, between the father aspect of divinity and the mother aspect of divinity. It's like God the Father is sort of the north pole of the bar magnet, and the material universe is the south pole of the bar magnet. And the soul or the consciousness is the magnetic field that unifies what might appear to be opposites. It's an important model, the bar magnet. Because there is no place on the bar magnet or in the magnetic field around the bar magnet that is all North Pole or all South Pole. We're so binary in our thinking, so programmed to think in terms of either or, that the both or the neither or the nuance of the middle often escapes us. But imagine uh, if every test you ever took in school was true or false. You'd say, wait a minute, uh, how about multiple choice? Don't I get a, a C or a D or an E? And uh, How about none of the above? How about all of the above? How about several of these are right, you have to choose the best right answer. Do you ever, <laughs> if you had a really good teacher at some point, there were multiple choice exams where there was more than one right answer and you had to find the best right answer. But somehow we leave school and go out into the world and everything is true or false, good or bad, right or wrong, absolutely. It's exhausting. It's a horrible horrible place to be. Binary thinking is such a curse. Well, the bar magnet's a great example of what unifies the North Pole and the South Pole that would appear to be opposites, like the two sides of a coin. Heads and tails, it's still one coin. You could say they're opposite sides, but they're the same coin. That's a paradox. Same way a bar magnet has a North Pole or a South Pole. But if you measure that magnetic field, either on the bar magnet or in the field around it, it's always, that point is always influenced by both polarities. Just as, and this comes from the Middle Ages, a road going uphill is also a road going downhill. Imagine two idiots standing at uh, the base of the hill saying, this is an uphill road. No, it's a downhill road. Are you kidding? I just walked to the top. I know it's an uphill road. And the other one says, you're out of your mind. It's a downhill road. And of course, it's both. We could use a lot more of that kind of thinking that 
awareness of the bothness of things in a relative nature to a matter of degree. Well, it's a little of this and a little of that. That nuance, that relative nature, the subjective nature of truth even. Part of us wants truth to be, always be absolute. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either true or it's untrue. And all this middle, these differences, they scare me. I want absolutes. I want something to hold on to. Well, deal with the fear. Don't change reality to mitigate your fear. Face the fear. There's wonder and, and excitement and adventure in the middle. The 70-30, the 60-40, the 51-49. I like to think of the football field as an example of the middle. The middle of the football field is not the 50-yard line. The middle of the football field is the whole field. And most people would rather play in the end zones. But that's out of bounds. There's nothing that happens in the end zone except scoring points. The game is played in the middle. From this goal line all the way down the field to the other goal line. That's the middle. The full swing of the pendulum. That's the middle. All the variations and options. So when we talk about the number three and what's magical about the number three, it's about examining the middle of things. And we'll take this understanding of the Trinity today as the divine Trinity. We'll look for it in other religions, for it is found in all religions. In Judaism, it's uh, in Kabbalah anyway, Kether, Kachma, and Bana. In Islam... It's the beloved love and the lover. We usually state it top to bottom, or if you write it left to right, think of things emanating from the left to the right, the way we write in the West, from left to right. So you would say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Divinity emanates through the soul to the separated incarnated being. Or spirit consciousness matter, same thing. We could also look at cause, meaning, and effect. You've heard of this being a cause and effect universe. Well, there is a middle element, which is the meaning. Or stimulus and response in the same way. Is there a middle? Yes. What's the middle? What's between stimulus and response? Perception. Very important concept. Think how often our behavior is simply a reflexive reaction to a stimulus with very little thought or consideration to how we behave because we've eliminated that middle. One of the benefits of developing your emotional intelligence and using meditation and other stress management skills to do that is that we can open up that space between stimulus and response, between what happens to us and what we do with it such that we could carefully consider our choices and the consequences of the behavior before you initiate it, before you take action or blurt out something you're going <laughs> to 
<laughs> you're going to later regret. Or, Oops, did I say that? Or, Gee, that came out all wrong. So there's a three in cause and effect. There's a three in stimulus and response. But it always moves from left to right. The beloved love and the lover. The beloved is divinity, the creator, the source. Love is the middle, and the lover is the being that aspires to that connection, to reconnect with his or her source through the love aspect, through the consciousness. Soul, love, consciousness. That's the middle. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're going to connect us to the lower correspondence in humans, which is our mental, emotional, and physical nature. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we're going to learn today some practical applications of understanding how the three makes the two into a one, how it's this third aspect that renders duality and the appearance of duality and, and binary thinking into wholeness to heal it. You need a third aspect, a third element. And so the emotional nature standing between our mind and our body plays the same role as the soul or the consciousness of the Christ or Buddha nature between spirit and matter, between the father aspect and the mother aspect. You still with me? That's the basics right there. And what does it matter? Well, it matters in that we need to develop our emotional intelligence as a portal to expanded awareness and higher consciousness. And that's what this class is all about, developing our conscious awareness. You'll be happier. <laughs> You'll suffer less. You'll also be kinder, more empathetic, and more compassionate. And you'll have more friends, and things just go smoother for you. When you get beyond this either-or madness, this either-or insanity that we see in the Middle East now. And you say, oh, that's religion. Well, you see it in many areas where it's not religion. It wasn't religion when America invaded Iraq after 9-11. Although Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, it was a pretense. Ireland, you know the story of Catholics and Protestants killing each other over religion, is it really? Over who loves Jesus better? Or the example I gave a week or two ago of the Crips and the Bloods. Opposites, it would seem. And yet these are poor, oppressed, inner-city black men in identical situations that square off because you're a blood, you carry a red rag, you're a crip, you carry a blue rag, so we have to kill each other, right? Who tricked them into believing they're opposites when they're actually carbon copies of each other? They mirror each other in so many ways. We see this in psychology, too, in arguments with your friends, with your spouse, with your parents, with your kids, some of the most hostile, I would say most of the most intense arguments are examples of people who believe their disagreement represents a kind of a opposite view of some issue, but in fact, we're mirroring each other 
in remarkable ways. People think they're disagreeing over this issue or that issue. You stand back, especially when you've done this a lot, and you can see, well, they're both in exactly the same situation. They're mirroring each other. Each needs from the other something that, in most cases, the other cannot provide for them. But not to get too far afield, uh, again, the, the, the point is, where does harmony come from? And how can we get our feet on that path of harmony that leads to unity? Not the kind of unity where everybody agrees, but where we love and trust and respect each other, despite our disagreement. In fact, celebrate the disagreement for the diversity it provides. I don't want to hang out with, how boring would it be if we only hung out with people who all thought the same way, who all agreed with us, and we always ate the same food or liked the same music. That'd be pretty horrible, pretty boring, but... There's something in the brain that wants that level of safety, that level of security. And it needs reprogramming. It needs to evolve. We're not animals anymore, though we often behave that way. How do we accelerate that evolution? The third way, the middle way. It's called the middle way in Buddhism. It's the magic of the number three. Let's do a meditation, and then we'll talk more about it, okay? However you're seated, whether in a chair, cross-legged on a bed, meditation, pillow, a bench, whatever, close your eyes, settle in. We'll do about 10 or 15 minutes of guided imagery here. Bring to mind the room in which you sit. Remember where you are, what you're doing, the Zoom class you've chosen to attend. Take a nice, slow breath, inhaling through your nose. Fill your lungs. And as you exhale now, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room. Feeling fine, feeling better than before. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for that. Consciousness, that's the third. That's the middle. What comes third stands as number two and makes the three a one. It's consciousness. It's the soul. It's love. It's the Christ. It's the son of spirit and matter. Don't you see? The interface of energy and mass, the way Einstein or a physicist would call it, energy creates mass. Consciousness creates the world. This is core quantum physics. Do you know electrons behave like waves until they're observed? And then they behave like particles? <laughs> what is the role of consciousness but to turn energy into matter, to turn waves into particles? You know what an interference pattern is? Like if you drop one pebble into a pond and it radiates out, imagine those little concentric ripples radiating out, then throw two pebbles in the pond at the same time. Each is radiating out those little ripples. 
but there's an intersection where they come together. And if they're in phase, they build. And if they're out of phase, they cancel each other out. And you get a like a bell-shaped curve, an interference pattern, it's called. Well, there's a famous experiment from 100 years ago that's been repeated hundreds of times with electrons and photons and other subatomic particles where they shoot these electrons, or again, whatever the little particle is, photons, through these uh, double slits, and they get a interference pattern. They, they behave like waves. Some particles go through the top slit, some go through the bottom slit, some go through both, and some particles don't pass through either. Well, scientists thought this is pretty far out. What if we look at the electron to figure out whether it's going through the top slit or the bottom slit, or it could be the left or right? And so they set up these little detectors, these highly sophisticated uh, instruments to detect the passage of the electron, which slit is it going through. And the minute they turn the detector on, instead of a interference pattern is multiple vertical bars. If the slits are vertical, you get these multiple vertical bars. The bars in the middle of the pattern on the back wall are, are stronger and brighter, and then going out, they get less and less and less. Well, as soon as you turn on the detector and look at the electrons, you get just two bars. So the electrons went from behaving as a wave, as an energy, as spirit, to particles, to mass, to matter, the material, the solid stuff, so-called. You know it's 99% open space, but <laughs> we think of it as solid enough. And what determines whether these electrons behave like particles or waves? Consciousness, awareness, watching it. That's the number three. And it stands between one and two. It's the sun of spirit and matter. That's, you know, you say, well, how did the Catholic Church figure that out? Well, they didn't. They pulled from mythology. We go back to ancient Egypt. We have the one of the very first trinities of father, son, and mother, which was king, prince, queen. Osiris, Horus, and Isis in ancient Egyptian mythology. The king, the prince, and the queen. It's thousands of years older than the Christian trinity. That's where that comes from. But it's in paganism also as father, son, and mother. And our mythology is full of the number three. How many, how many stories are there about being you know, given three wishes or three guesses. Isn't it Rumpelstiltskin? You had to guess his name, you got three guesses. Or uh, you find Aladdin's lamp, you get three wishes. Or you catch the leprechaun, you get three wishes. Three billy goats gruff. The three little pigs. The three bears, Goldilocks. And, and what do they represent? It's usually small, medium, and large. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the baby bear, the mama bear, and the papa bear. And 
Goldilocks ends up going for the middle, the middle way, all, for number three, the middle, the mama, the the porridge that's not too cold or too hot, right? The three act play. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. How many jokes are written around the setup, the repetition, and then the rim shot, the punchline? Brum bum. <laughs> Do you feel how number three feels like a completion? And look at the triangle or the tripod. I mean, Pythagoras went crazy uh, playing around with triangles. He, you know, the Pythagorean theorem about uh, the square of the hypotenuse being equal to the square of the two sides if the, as long as the... Uh, Triangle is a right angle, has a 90-degree angle in it. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty elegant formula. The distance of one side multiplied by itself added to the square of the other side equals the square of the diagonal, the hypotenuse set. A squared plus B squared to C squared. That's pretty cool. But beyond that, the triangle is the most stable shape there is. Look at a geodesic dome carefully and consider why it is hundreds of times stronger than a building that is uh, constructed out of right angles. And you'll see that it's filled with little triangles. If you look carefully at design and architecture and construction, you'll see triangles everywhere, everywhere they can use them. We still favor square houses and square windows and or rectangular, you know. We like 90-degree angles, sort of a clean and crisp, but triangles are much more stable. Look at the tripod or the three-legged stool, the three-legged African stool, as it's often referred to. Marvelous in that it doesn't matter how long the legs are. The great thing about the three-legged stool, you see, is you can set it on uneven ground and it's always stable. Or even if the ground is perfectly level, you set up your tripod or your three-legged stool, it doesn't matter how long the legs are. Each leg can be a different length and the stool never rocks. There's something about the triangle, there's something about the number three. And it's completeness, it's stability. I mean, obviously, if the stool had only one or two legs, it'd be inherently unstable. It wouldn't even stand up. But if it had four or more legs, <laughs> everyone would have to be exactly the same length to avoid rocking or teetering. And adding more legs would not make it more stable, quite the contrary. So why don't tables have three legs? Because we want <laughs> we want square tables and rectangular tables. We like squares. But if you're going to set your camera up, it's going to be a tripod. It won't it won't have four legs. It's hard to know what to make of that. Except again, there's something magical about the number three. I referred to the. Trinity in Christianity and suggested it's in other religions. It's also in mythology. The 
the Norse mythology, the Greek mythology, the Roman mythology, there were always three gods, three gods in one. That comes up again and again and again. We see it in astrology, the sun and the moon and the earth is a trinity in astrology. In alchemy, it's sulfur, mercury, and salt. And you might say, well, so what? What's that correspondence? It's the same correspondence. Have you ever heard of the salt of the earth? What's that expression, the salt of the earth? Sulfur, in old alchemy, was the prime source of all chemistry. Salt represented the earth. So you have, like, fire and earth. And then the water element was the mercury, because it, like, stands in the middle. It's metal, but it flows. It's the best of both. Just like the soul between God and man stands in the middle and is both. That three represents bothness. It represents harmony and unity. The soul is a spiritual concept, but it incarnates into material form. It's the bothness in the middle. Now, the importance of this is that we see a trinity in man, in human beings, which is the mental, emotional, and physical nature. Plato talked about mind, body, and soul. That's another trinity. But in that model, the mental and emotional are combined into mind. So the third element would be the soul. More commonly, in contemporary philosophy and, and science, psychology, brain research. It's mental, emotional, physical, and the soul or the consciousness stands above the emotional. It's like incorporates all three. Mental, emotional, and physical are incarnate aspects of an overshadowing soul above and free of form. That's one of the biggest distinctions, by the way, between organized religion in the West, the Islamic, Judeo-Christian, the Abrahamic or monotheistic religions see souls as manufactured on conception. Ancient Christians, before the Catholic Church was formed, in the first, second, and third centuries, believed in the pre-existence of the soul, but not in reincarnation. That's an interesting alternative to you either get one crack at it or there's reincarnation. A third way is what the early Christians believed, which was the pre-existence of the soul, but you still only get one lifetime. They did not believe in reincarnation or transmigration, but they believed there was a a repository of souls from time out of mind that would incarnate. You can look up some of the early church fathers that are writing on that. For example, Origin, Origin of Alexandria. Just Google it. It's there. It's 2,000 years old, but you can read what he wrote. So 
The mental, emotional, and physical nature is a great way to begin to understand ourselves and the role of the emotion in the middle. I mean, what I'm saying is the order matters. It's the emotional nature that comes third and stands as number two. It's the emotion that is at the center, at the heart, corresponding to the soul between spirit and matter, between God and man, between heaven and earth, that middle soul consciousness love aspect. The lower correspondence is the emotion, which is part mental and part physical. It's the both that connects our thoughts to our behavior. Thoughts are like an energy. They're the steering wheel of the car. They determine our direction. The physical, the physical body, our health, our performance, is like the car itself. That's the action. So if the thoughts are the steering wheel, and that's the mental aspect is the steering wheel, the energy, so to speak, and the physical is the car, what's in the middle? Well, that's the pedals. Uh, fear, the emotion of fear, or anything like it, trepidation, anxiety, anything from panic and horror and terror to nervousness and mild apprehension, that's the break. And the old boy, the enthusiasm, the excitement, goal-oriented, can-do attitude, optimism, that's the accelerator. So if you wonder why you're not going anyplace, you got the steering wheel pointed in the right direction, you got some great ideas, maybe the problem is you're just standing on the brake. So you see, it's the emotions, the E-motion, the energy in motion, that is the force that drives the energy into action. Your thoughts, your mental nature is an energy, or our energy, but the emotion is the force behind it. And then the action. There's other ways that emotions overlap and embrace, unify the mind-body connection. Emotions generate thoughts as surely as thoughts generate emotional feelings. There's a ping-pong game here at the beginning where a thought will arise out of a feeling and then impact your feelings, which changes your way of thinking, and then your feelings change, and there's this back and forth between thought, feeling, thought, feeling, 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 thought, 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 thought. <laughs> Sometimes we behave out of feeling with no thought. Hey, why'd you do that? Because I felt like it. Well, did you think that? No, I didn't think at all. I, I just behaved. I thought about it afterwards. So it was like the force of emotion drove an action that was not considered. You didn't think about it until afterward. That's called rationalizing. Then we come up with the reason after we already do it. It's often said humans are less rational than rationalizing. It's because we get the order wrong. Well, I did it because I felt like it. Yeah, but maybe it'd be better to think it through carefully and consider your choices and your options and the consequences and then go to the emotional nature and drive that into action. 
So emotions clearly have a relationship with the mind. What's the relationship with the body aside from driving be your decision, the energy of the mind, your thoughts into action? Well, emotions are felt in the body. You don't feel a thought in your body. Thoughts are not feelings. And feelings don't have reasons. Feelings aren't reasonable because they're not thoughts. Well, that was an unreasonable feeling. Well, all of your feelings are unreasonable. They're feelings. And where are they felt? In the body? Well, are they like physical feelings? Yeah. Some of our emotions are pleasurable and some are painful. Just like the pleasure and pain we feel in the physical body. Well, wait a minute. Pleasure and pain in the body, especially the pain, aren't those clues? Aren't those symptoms of health or illness? I mean, or of other conditions, problems, situations? Can't we read those physical feelings like a, a, a headache or an upset stomach? You know, irritable bowel symptoms? I mean, a lot of stress and anxiety. Can't we read those symptoms and... And aren't they clues? Isn't that what the doctor wants to know? How do you feel? Well, if you go to a medical doctor and he or she says, how do you feel? You tell them about the physical feelings. But if you see a mental health counselor, a psychotherapist, social worker, hypnotherapist, and they say, how do you feel? You say, well, lonely, uh, sad, confused, sometimes apathetic, hopeless despair, dismay, you give them emotional feelings. Emotions are felt in the body like physical feelings are felt in the body, and they too are symptoms of your condition. Well, far out. The emotion is the lower correspondence of the soul. Emotions are the consciousness aspect on the lower turn of the spiral, so to speak. Emotional intelligence is where we begin to develop our awareness or our consciousness. Not your ability to think, not your IQ, your EQ is where you wake up and become aware of what? The world around you? Situational awareness? Yes, that helps a lot. But more importantly, self-awareness. That's what the self-help movement, human potential, self-improvement, self-realization, self-esteem, self-image, self-regard. What is all of that? <laughs> Obviously, it's all about the self. Which self? The ego self? The part of me that's filled with fear and anxiety and worry about what others would think of me? Or is there a higher self, an overshadowing soul? a higher level of consciousness, an elevated perspective, a larger view of things from the mountaintop. And can I access that on demand, damn tootin'? With meditation, with deep relaxation, you've got to convince the brain that you're safe before it'll let go of the monkey mind and the tendency to be easily distracted. You don't need to slow down or eliminate thinking, meditate, you meditate to slow down and eventually realize 
that you're not the thoughts, you're really not even your feelings, you are the awareness behind your thoughts and feelings. And when you get a grip on that, I am the awareness of my thinking. And often I'm not very aware of it at all. I am the awareness of why I feel the way I feel, and much of the time I have no idea, I'm not very aware of what I feel, or you ever hear anybody deny they're angry while they're all red-faced and yelling and throwing stuff and threatening people and screaming, I am not angry. Denial. It's a lack of awareness. They're not lying to you. They think they're not angry. And how much of our behavior is deliberate and purposeful and, 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 and intended, uh, initiated, as opposed to the reflexive reaction. How much of our lives are just reacting, reacting, reacting without much thought? Just struggling to keep our head above water, just to get a breath and just like get to the next week, the, the, the next day, just the next hour. Always reacting, reacting, reacting. Do you ever get a minute to just relax? To take that minute? to purposefully establish that level of peace and happiness, to expand your awareness, look at your choices. Oh, I have more choices than I realized. Carefully consider. Maybe in this mess, maybe in this horrible, tragic situation, that I'd rather avoid, there's an opportunity to learn something. Maybe there's a silver lining. Maybe there's a blessing in disguise. Maybe, how about certainly, that what we perceive as obstacles to our growth are instead, in fact, the means by which we grow. Obstacles and problems and heartache is how you grow. It's not stuff that gets in the way of living. <laughs> It is your living. It's what you're here to do, to evolve, to grow, to be more. Not just buy stuff. I guess we figured that out, right? We can quench that seemingly unquenchable desire for more. Remember Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction I try and I try and I try just can't get no what was that 50 years ago Six, 60 years ago you can get satisfaction it's not true but not from the world the, the, the satisfaction you seek is not out there it's not in what you own, what you buy, the power you have, the people you know, the person who loves you. Get a dog. That'll help in the short term, but they don't last. That's the problem. Nothing lasts out there. It's all impermanent. What does last? What can you take with you? Can't take it with you, but we pursue it anyway. What can you take with you? Consciousness, love, awareness, hip to the trip. Develop it through relaxation. Consciousness is the third. It's the middle between energy and the material world, between spirit and matter. 
It is the means by which energy manifests as the material world. It's the bridge. It's the connection. It's the center. It's the heart. And the lower correspondence is the emotional nature. <laughs>